0: Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Akin Tunde Ahmad. I am a former Delacorte fellow with the Columbia Journalism Review, and I am a current contributor to the Columbia Journalism Review. I will be guest hosting in place of Kyle Pope for this week's episode of The Kicker. I am very excited for the guest that will be joining us today. His name is Samuel Yedicho. He is an Oakland native like myself. We actually graduated from the same high school, me in 2014 and him in 2020. And I graduated Yale in 2018, and he will be enrolling at Yale in this upcoming fall. Uh, He recently published an article with the New York Times as an opinion essay titled Black Valedictorians and the Toxic Trope of Black Exceptionalism. Uh, in 2019, I published a similar article with The Atlantic uh, about my experiences being, you know, paraded around and having uh, lots of positive media surrounding my graduation from Yale and and, and attending public schools growing up and so I'm excited to really just delve into this topic deeper with him and so without further ado I'd like to turn it over to you Samuel to just kind of begin by giving us an intro into your
1: experiences and and what drove you to actually write this piece. Yeah um thank you for having me first of all but I think this piece really for me was actually about seven years in the making when um when you graduated and and I was in the sixth grade I remember very, very vividly watching kind of this entire media fanfare that surrounded you, watching you go on the Ellen show, hearing everybody talk about it. Um, and for me, who who growing up, and I went to Oakland Public Schools my entire life. Um, I really, at the time in particular, saw it as, as an, an inspirational path that, that I could follow. And I, at the time, didn't really understand. The full realities of what I would experience in the, in the remaining years of my my public education in Oakland, and didn't really have as much context for for why you you and your situation were so unique. And then, you know, fast forward six seven years, I'm graduating, and then a year later, one of my former classmates, um, Ahmed became the first black valedictorian in oakland tech's history and oakland tech has been around for 106 years and you know has had no shortage of black male students but for him to be the first black male valedictorian i think to me now after having had you know six years more experience in oakland public schools it it really all just seemed much different to me than it did when when you were getting that media coverage when I was so much younger. And so to have seen this kind of once in a lifetime event happen twice in my life and to witness two people from my community that reminded me so much of myself, you know, get this similar treatment. But to to witness it once at the age of of around 12 and, you know, again around the age of 18, my perspective was completely different. And Ahmed and I, you know, experienced a lot of the same things. We had a lot of the same classes together actually throughout high school. And, you know, oftentimes, if we weren't in the class together, we would be the only black person in our individual classes. Um, If we were in the class together, we were often the only ones. And so having having seen that having experienced that I was approaching it with with a much more cynical lens, I think it was so much more difficult for me to purely just rejoice in, in this accomplishment of Ahmed's because I felt like the story that was being told was so incomplete and was not factoring in all of the circumstances that made you unique and that made him unique again, six, seven years later.
0: Understood. I think one of the the lines that, that stuck out to me um from your opinion essay was actually the one that said, quote, when the annual news cycle of underdog valedictorians fades, segregated classrooms endure. These heartwarming stories are a distraction from the reality of our education system, end quote. And so uh I think I think that stuck with me because, you know, a lot of times it seems like in News media stories, especially just, you know, in the landscape of journalism, I don't necessarily want to say that our stories could be clickbait in a way, but they are very much feel good stories that overlook the systemic issues um, that have existed for generations in place of just, you know, highlighting one thing and making people say, hey, like, (laughs) not everything in Oakland is bad or even more dangerous for me, um, which I spoke about. Um, in my essay, and have just you know talked about a lot, is the the example of hey, like here's a black male student who came from Oakland and went through all the things that other folks in in the country who are black males across this nation have experienced, and you know they worked hard enough and made it to the Ivy League. So why can't you? And I think that's just so dangerous because it can, you know, really overlook the, these 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 far ranging systemic issues uh, that are oversimplified by these very quick one-off pieces meant to just highlight these exceptional stories um, instead of actually examining what makes us the exception. And if we're an exception and we're exceptional, that means the norm, the expected. The rule is not seeing folks from backgrounds like our own going to top universities um, and achieving in, in life, right? It's about the 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 standard the rule that we are breaking is that you know we're not supposed to graduate and be prepared to attend these Ivy League caliber institutions or just college at all for that matter. And so I would just like to hear maybe a bit more um, just j- just from your standpoint about you know when you see uh, my story and then when you when you see Ahmed you know why did it really leave that kind of sour sour <laughs> taste in
1: your mouth. I mean I'm I'm as I'm sure you know cuz cause, cause we both grew up in Oakland but Oakland is you know demographically one of the most socially liberal places in the world and so it's not really a matter of how badly do people not want racism to exist it's not really a matter of how you know people feel or or how the the social attitudes are um in terms of of the the, the social and political landscape of Oakland you know people are are happy to see stories like this. In fact, a little bit too eager sometimes because it lets them kind of convince themselves that the reality of Oakland systems line up with its like supposed social and political kind of face that it puts out into the world. And so for me, and, and particularly speaking to that quote that you mentioned, you know, your story was, was upheld to me as kind of an example Partially of what you said, of like, look, if you work hard enough, you can overcome. You just need to work hard enough. Um, but also, it was it was kind of used as a way to to comfort a lot of people who may be socially liberal in Oakland, and and kind of make us all feel a little bit better about about the the status quo of our education system. And it was kind of a way to show, look, like it is possible. Look, it is getting better. But even you know, after you graduated and went off to Yale. Ahmed and I still had to deal with being the only ones. We still had to deal with a school system that was not, you know, regularly sending students like us to schools like these. And, you know, part of that was like, wh- why are we underdogs in the first place? For a lot of my classmates who were in similar courses, who, you know, were similarly kind of academically ambitious, but came from, you know, white, college-educated, upper-middle-class families you know taking ap classes going to college even going to you know supposed quote unquote elite institutions was always part of the plan that was not something that was considered exceptional or unique for them for their community for their family and for the expectations that they grew up with and to them you know getting to that stage in life it wasn't really a mark of overcoming anything and i found it a little bit disturbing the second time around to watch it with ahmed because you know nothing had really changed. And I, I, the thing that I think kind of the fear that I had that, that, that really made me the most anxious was two, three, four, five years down the line, maybe another seven, maybe another 10. You know, are we going to have another one of these? Are we going to have, you know, another rare, quote unquote, underdog, quote unquote, exceptional black male student that overcomes these odds that we still have done nothing to address despite how often, you know, we praise people for kind of overcoming it. And so I saw a quote today actually that said that we need to stop glorifying resilience without examining the circumstances that make people have to be resilient. And I think that that speaks to, you know, so much of what I talk about in the article and so much of what you talked about in yours in 2019, you know, why why are we the only ones? Or why are we, you know, part of this handful? And why, why is it not a norm for people like us to go to schools like these to have, you know, academically ambitious or or successful careers, and, and even just success outside of, you know, necessarily academia, but I I'm much more interested in getting to a world where we're not remarkable, where it's just as normal for us to be going to to schools like these and having life paths like these as it is for my classmates for whom that was always considered the expectation.
0: Right, right. And I couldn't agree more. Um, I think one of the another quote in your piece that really sums it up, and not just in the context of education um and educational inequities in the city, but just on all topics. Of, of of race, put in context in these United States and in the and in the world at large. You said, "quote highlighting stories of black exceptionalism, while neglecting to contextualize them, simply perpetuates the inequities that make them unique to begin with." End quote. And so, you know, in 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 the the conversation that we're having, of course, we're we're speaking specifically to our education system, to the public education system, and you know, saying like, look, we have city government we have state government we have federal government that you know wants to pretend and act like they are putting the correct amount of funding and and allocating the um necessary resources to our you know public schools uh, that we came through to ensure that people are able um to to graduate from high school at least ready to attend college and so We are used as like these scapegoats and the finger pointers to say, look, this is this is what your tax dollars are going to. This is proof that these schools are getting enough funding. And that's why, you know, it really doesn't sit right with me because it's like, no, the fact that you're pointing the finger at us um, lets you know that, you, you know, it isn't actually the norm. Yet you want to pretend like this is the case. And so but this isn't just in the education system, right? Like this is across the board. I mean, if we look at, especially the the time that we're currently living in and there's a a lot of conversations being had and a lot of changes being made or lack of changes being made and really just surface level symbolism being put out there or, or at least the illusion of changes being made. I think this is really a great time for this piece because it really does call out one of the things that America loves to do, which is look past our history, look past the circumstances um, and just the truth for that matter. Right. If, if you really examine the history of, of anything in this country, whether you look at redlining and housing segregation and understand how black people like us have been spatially isolated into uh, what we call ghettos or, or impoverished communities and how that was by design and then you have property taxes funding the public schools in the specific areas and then you wonder why certain schools in certain parts of the city and certain cities get far less funding and have far less resources than ones in areas with higher property taxes and then you know you try and say well no like these kids are going to these top Ivy League schools like we can point to three of them out of this high school in the past 7 years and it's like no no that's the issue you can point to just three in the past yeah. from 2014 to 2021, that is not acceptable. That is not something to be proud of at all. Um, it is just something to give a surface level gesture, to give a surface level symbol, which is what we're seeing far and wide. This this, this country, this government, you know, loves to do.
1: Exactly. In past years, you know, when you have white valedictorians, there's not, there's a reason that nobody's pointing to that. And that's because you know there's too many of them to count we've entered an interesting age also i think in the american social political landscape where there's a lot of performance with regards to social justice and there's a lot of kind of ritualistic gesturing and you know you have dashikis in congress and you have you know all of these Performative, like fist up gestures, as opposed to actual legislation happening, and it's like it's a, it's this entire national preference to, to turn to the, these performances rather than to actually do any of the work that needs to be done and make any of the changes that need to be made. And so I, I think it's particularly it's particularly insidious when recent graduates who like you were and like Ahmed now is you know who who should be celebrating. Are kind of having that celebration be exploited for the sake of this larger performance and for the sake of this larger distraction, um, and that I think also was what what made me feel so much more uncomfortable watching it happen the second time around. Especially because I had also seen, you know, your evolution from from being on those shows, from having that coverage of you in twenty fourteen all the way up to twenty nineteen. Um, I'm talking about it, and it was it was just very disturbing for me to watch. It happened from the beginning again, um, no. and so I, this time I didn't want it to go. You know, five years before, before being addressed, um, and I think that that part of you know the the power that we have now with time with knowledge with building being able to build on each other's experiences and understandings of what what has been happening to students like us over time is that we can, you know, kind of nip it in the bud before it happens again.
0: Right, agreed, agreed, agreed. I mean, even, you know, the fact that we just had Juneteenth turned into a national holiday. Mm-hmm. um, You know, but like we've been celebrating Juneteenth, I at least in my family every year. Um and as a means of actually acknowledging the the history of it, um, and the truth behind it, and like now it's like okay, the U.S. is going to make it a national holiday, and it's like that's what's celebrated as some major accomplishment. Like, meanwhile, when you look at what's actually occurring, it's a, it's another example of just a symbolic gesture, um, and you know more or less like a cop out of saying, "What do you mean we made Juneteenth a national holiday while?" public schools in in black communities are being funded significantly less than those in other areas. Right. Or, um, we're talking about, I mean, the list can go on. We can talk about over policing. I mean, we can talk about, um, housing discrimination. Um, we can talk about the, the pay gap, um, all the way up the ladder to corporate America. If you're, you know, having comparison by race adjusted for the same jobs, even in the journalism industry. Um, you know, this exists. And so it's just one of those things, again, where I think your story, um, your essay, while it does focus on our unique experiences as Black male students coming out uh, of the Oakland Public School District and getting this notoriety, it is a theme that extends beyond just, you know, the education system, right? Um, And really permeates um, this media industry, right? And so I think you know, moving forward, like from this conversation, just something for individual journalists to keep in mind, for um entire media outlets to keep in mind, just like, hey, like before you write that feel good story, an underdog story, it's not the individual student and their success or, or their story that is what is most important to cover. It is a deep examination of the circumstances that have made this situation to be exceptional to be outstanding to be what you deem as newsworthy um because otherwise you know we're not going to have that much needed honest conversation and reckoning and face to face look with you know the history the circumstances the laws the systemic structures the funding structures the tax based structures all of these things that play a role um in shaping these circumstances these environments that we grew up in um, because it's, you know, it's not like a huge mystery, w- really, right? If you follow history and you, and you actually are in search of the truth, I mean, it's a very, very clear through path. Um, you know, it shouldn't be up to students like myself and you to have to do that deep digging and have to do um, that reckoning, though I don't mind it because I, I, I'm... All about telling the truth and, and making sure people realize this. I just think, you know, this is something the outlets that have all of these resources should ensure that they're doing. Because you know, you had the time to do the interviews and 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 the and reach out and come send a photographer to my house or Ahmed's house and you know put the financial backing behind doing this feel good story. And those resources could also be diverted to making sure that you're covering and actually the the, the larger story, which is why hasn't there been a black male Victorian in the over 100 years of Oakland Tech when you know at times Oakland Tech has been over 60 percent black right my sister got to Oakland Tech in the year 2000 and every year since then until I graduated in 2014 uh, myself or one of my siblings was at Tech so there was an Ahmad family child from 2000 2014 and even in that time just seeing the demographic shift and um, seeing all the talented and educated students come through there and then not see a single black valedictorian there, um, you know, it, it it's also telling, right? I've seen so many intelligent folks come through there, but um, you said the circumstances, the environment, that is what needs to be addressed, having to
1: face the truth. And I mean, even even as early back as, as the times of the Black Panther Party, I mean, Huey P. Newton, you know, went to Oakland Tech and actually graduated without being able to read or write, and you know if that if that doesn't tell you uh, about how long of a of a problem this has been, and about how many talented, intelligent, black students have gone through Oakland Tech without being equipped with the things that they should have been equipped with from from a high school education. I mean, I, I don't know what else will.
0: Then, then if you look at you know how intelligent. Uh, of a person Huey was, and if you're thinking about, I mean, that is just a, a example of how lacking, you know, the the public school system, been because you have someone who had so much potential, who had so much talent, who had so much intelligence. That talent was never nurtured. That talent wasn't tapped into, and like you said, graduating without being able to read or write, but then later on becoming self-taught and becoming such a prolific thinker. Um, and writer and speaker and all of these things really does just go to show In talking to, you know, outlets and publications like the one-off that will make for a good headline, will make for good readership, um, will make for good clickbait when you say, you know, black male student from Oakland Public Schools whose brother was shot and went to federal prison for four years makes it to the Ivy League, right? Everybody wants to click on that story and read it. But again, when they wrote that story about me, my brother's story was very much just a small footnote just uh, provided as a juxtaposition to mine when it's like, wait, wait, wait. The real story here is so many people who came through my through our high school, through our school district, befell that same trap that was before them. The same circumstances that it was like I and this is this is the honest truth. I know more people who graduated from Oakland Tech who have been shot then have went on to what we call elite universities right i know more people who have been incarcerated than have went on to these elite universities in the year that i graduated in the 10 years before i graduated when my sister was there and in the seven years since i've graduated but we said it was up to us to really or i mean myself to tell my brother's story and yourself to really examine um the phenomenon that's occurring here and so It's just crazy how those circumstances are still just kind of sit in the shadows. But for us, it's like, this is crazy that folks aren't actually addressing this and that this is actually what is the norm and what is expected. I mean, the last line in your piece was, quote, I don't want to see yet another inner city success story emerge from my community. I want these stories to be so common that they are unworthy of such coverage. And, you know, when you wrote that, I mean, what was your biggest hope that people took away from this piece overall
1: i just hope that people think more critically moving forward and i think that that's that sounds like it's not a very large ask but i think it's actually one of the largest that i could ask for mm-hmm. um but i think for me the beauty in, in reading for me and and what i've learned from from the things that i've read has been that I think more critically about the world around me and I think that if I can if I can do that for someone else as a writer and I can convince people to examine the world around them with just a little bit more thoughtfulness and a little bit more um critical thinking then then I've done my job
0: you know I just want to thank you A for writing that piece um and expressing not just your truth but the truth about this situation Though it sounds like a simple ask, it it really it really is um, the most necessary and and potentially one of the most difficult ones to get people to follow through on. And so, um, you know, again, I just want to thank you uh, for taking the time to come on board. Cjr's the kicker today. Again, this was Samuel Getichow, um an Oakland native like myself, who is right one of the the top rising voices in, in, in the media space. And so again, I just want to thank you so much. Um,
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Thank you. And again, my name is Akintunde Ahmad. Kyle will be back to host uh, the kicker next week. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you all.